Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Surface. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I love exploring how humans have developed their mindset for performance. I love talking to diverse people. They're everything from CEOs to coaches to athletes. We want to find out their story, but also how that story has developed their mindset, specifically for performance under pressure. And today, we're joined by Justin Sua. Justin is a mental performance coach where he works with the Boston Red Sox and the Cleveland Browns. So he plays in some of the best sandboxes of elite performance in the world. And Justin will share with us what it's like to work on the world stage when it comes to football, when it comes to baseball, but he'll also share his story, what it was like to be a Division I baseball player at Brigham Young University. He'll also share his upbringing, where he grew up in California, the son of a professional athlete, and how that impacted his journey. You'll learn a lot about his upbringing because his parents really instilled this idea of self-belief and the notion that he could do anything as long as he put his mind to it. So I'm really excited to share Justin with you. He's somebody who I recently met, and you'll notice I have a cold. Uh, and so Justin brings a lot of the energy, a lot of the enthusiasm in this conversation. I try to do my best as well. And if you enjoy this conversation with Justin, please share with a friend, send him an email, uh, share it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever you're social. And if you could click on over to iTunes and just like our podcast, it really helps us out as we continue to dive deeper into this podcast and try to make it better every time. I appreciate you listening. Without further ado, I present to you, Justin Sua. Justin, let's start. Just tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your background, what family was like for you as a kid. What was little Justin like uh, back in the day? Yeah, well, little Justin was very, uh, very ambitious. Born and raised in Los Angeles, County, uh, it's the city of Torrance, California. So uh, I'm a so so cowboy, oldest of three children, and I my father is was an immigrant from the American from American Samoa, Polynesian island, American U.S. territory, and my mom was born and raised in California. Uh, but two two very ambitious parents, people who loved uh, my parents loved to help others. They loved to perform. They actually met Polynesian dancing. I don't know if you've ever been to a luau before, but uh, they're both professional Polynesian dancers. And so I grew up singing and dancing and playing sports. Um, yeah, just having a lot of fun. My dad played for the Dodgers, played baseball in the Dodgers organization. And it was always my dream to follow Pops' footsteps. And while I loved to just play sports, whether it be basketball, baseball, football, just baseball was my love. Always loved it. But, uh, but yeah, it was just a, a fun, easygoing, just always trying to do something life growing up as a little boy. So did dad come over to play for the Dodgers? Is that how he got over here? Before no, he, he came over before. He came over in, uh, when he was, I believe, 13 years old, younger, much younger. And uh, he is uh, number five of 10, 10 children, grew up in, uh, in Pacoima, Los Angeles, so a rougher area. But, and so he was instilled with just work ethic. He just worked and worked. And it's funny because he didn't really start to play competitive baseball until he got to college. That's really when he started led the country in home runs and went to play for the Dodgers. Just never played little league, never played high school. Just started playing in college and uh, ended up uh, making a pretty good name for himself. What position did he play? He was a catcher and third baseman. Yeah, but mainly caught and playing professional ball with the Dodgers and the Brewers. And what position did you play growing up? I grew up playing everything. I was a shortstop outfield, but, uh, but in high school I was third base and pitcher. And then once I went to college at BYU, I ended up uh, just – uh, solely being a pitcher. Got it. And any siblings growing up? Yeah, I have a younger sister and a younger brother. So uh, I'm three years older than my sister and seven years older than my brother and uh, love those two so much. But 
it's neat growing up with siblings because and being the older one because I get to dictate, okay, now we're going to play tag, and now we're going to play capture the flag, and now we're going to play hockey. And it was neat. We're a very, very close family, and uh, it, it was always nice. I wasn't one to go out and party and, and go be with the friends. I had everything I needed right there within the walls of my own home. And you use the word ambition right off the bat. What does yeah. that word mean to you? Why did yeah. you use that word? Yeah, the reason I use that word is because growing up, I saw, I, I saw with my own eyes, two people, my parent, my both my parents, who did things that, that percentage-wise, that that if we were going to go by percentage, they shouldn't have accomplished. For example, my father, first of all, coming here from another country, never playing baseball, leading the country in home runs and playing for the Dodgers. My mother, who never graduated high school. Who ended up being her? And my dad ended up opening up a, a, a running a trucking company, multi-million-dollar trucking company, and they started it from scratch. Uh, he he didn't graduate from high school or college. He never I'm sorry didn't graduate from college. She didn't graduate from high school, and they're leading. They run this multi-million-dollar company. Uh, my dad was in movie in movies and commercials. Uh, my mom was just helping so many people, and so we were raised with the mindset, you can do whatever you want to do. Just grow up and do it. And uh, they were so supportive. And uh, it's neat because they not only talk the talk, but they walk the walk. And they would explain it. And I'd see them just go from, we we lived in from a, a smaller apartment to they just kept following their dreams and until they bought their dream home. But what's really neat too is once we all left, they sold the company. And then he went, my dad went into coaching baseball and that was his dream. And so they ended up, and then they lived back in an apartment. And they taught us that it's not money, it's not finances, just just follow what you love, follow your passion. And that was always the story. If I wanted to be a cowboy, okay, let's get you a cowboy hat so you can be a cowboy. If I wanted to be a ninja, okay, let's sign you up for gymnastics classes so you can learn how to do splits and flips. It's whatever I wanted to do, they wanted to support the dreams. And your dad, it sounds like, did not come from means. And then no. that was able to secure means. Did he... What other lessons did he teach you along the way about coming from quote unquote nothing and then yeah. I, I'm going to use the term achieving the American dream in the right. sense from a financial stance uh, sense or from a freedom stance, an autonomy sense. What right. sort of messaging did he pass down to you? So the message it was always number one is, is fear nobody, respect everybody. Always talk about that. that. No one is better than you. No one is worse than you. But you be respectful to people and you respect them. And what's neat about that, and I, something I, I live by, is that, is that you can have the confidence to walk in a room and to know that it doesn't matter if you are with a major league baseball player or, or someone who works, who's not a professional athlete. I don't want to categorize anyone. They're all the same. Every, everyone, everyone is the same. Another lesson that they taught us is, it taught me, is just the importance of respect and discipline. Um, going along with that, just not just respecting people, but respecting your body, respecting your property, respecting your home, respecting your room, and then being disciplined uh, to do what it takes to be successful, even if you don't feel like it. And that's something that they just constantly told us. And then just love, just love people and don't judge people. And that just, that was just the, the message over and over and over again. And um, it's, I'm so grateful for that, really. It was just the, the foundation of everything, everything that we, I, I've been accomplishing and continue to, to continue to do and will do in the future. I try to pass on to my kids as well. Was there anything culturally or faith-based that helped guide you uh, as a kid? 100%. So, uh, the Polynesian people, and my mom is, is of Mexican descent, is just a God-fearing people. Uh, we sing together. We sing church hymns together. We pray together as a family. I grew up 
just praying. We grew up having faith. We grew up believing. And that was it, the great thing about Samoa is, is that's just the culture. It just, it doesn't matter what church you're from. It is not about, it's just that, Hey, we're just a God fearing people and we pray and we have faith and, and we trust it. We trust in him. And and he has given us our, our skills and our talents. Hey, let's use them to, to, to uh, let our light so shine, so to speak. And yeah, that was always a conversation that comes up constantly. I'm going to go back to sports for a minute. I am curious to get your perspective on this. So you've got Stephen Curry, whose dad, Dell, played in the NBA for years. You've got Kobe Bryant, whose dad, uh, you know, Bean Bryant, played in the NBA. You have Ken Griffey Jr., who played with his dad, Ken Griffey Sr. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious to get your – or Peyton Manning, whose dad, Archie, played. I'm curious to get your perspective as the son of a professional athlete, how that impacted your baseball career – um, good, bad, and different. I just want to, I want you to tug on that a little bit for me. Yeah. I think for me, it was great. Not the fact that I think it was a combination of two things. Not only the fact that he did play professional baseball and he does know the intricacies of what it takes to, to be at that level. Um, but he is a master teacher and he loved me more than, than anything. And so he understands and he helped me understand that baseball is, is what I do. It doesn't define who I am. Now, being a, and that's not always the case with professional athletes and their sons. However, because he's such a good teacher, he was able to, I mean, I had, I had top of the line coaching right there at the dinner table. And anytime I had a question and, and he would just be able to answer it, and he would really be able to give me the best training possible. I never grew out of his training. So a lot of times with, with fathers, sometimes they can only coach their child until they're 10, some it's 11, 12, 13, 14, because the child's ability goes beyond their competence in that sport. Well, my father, having coached and played at the at a, at a very level, I, would, I wouldn't. He didn't play in the major leagues, but played, coached in minor leagues, played in the minor leagues, and received coaches by through people who played at the highest level. Able to teach me and able to help me understand the intricacies of the game, both on the field and off the field, not just the physical side, but the mental side as well. And I think that's something that, yeah, it was definitely a, it was definitely an advantage for me. Uh, and you see a lot of coaches out there as well. So I just knew how to carry myself as, as a baseball player because I was always around the field as well. I just knew what it was like. And so I think that helped me. Um, I didn't realize it then, but looking back, I could definitely see where it definitely where it influenced um, both him and myself. Did he ever formally coach you? I know you said he coaches now, but did he ever formally coach you or was it more at the at the dinner table? Uh, he, always, he was always the coach. Of, he was always the head coach of my team. Always the head coach of my team. It was funny because a lot of times the research says don't do that. Parent, like the average, like, no, you don't coach your son or, or don't coach your own child. And, and I remember being in my psychology class or research showed usually parents shouldn't do that. And I raised my hand with confidence and said, nope, I, I'm, I am a product of opposite of that. I am so glad my dad coached me. And I think is because, once again, he was able to put sports aside that never defined me, um, who I was. And I, whether it's I'm three for three or over for three, I'm always, I'm always, he's always dad and I'm always son. And, um, it was, it was really neat because he was able to, and also it was neat as well as all the parents and the coaches saw that he didn't give me the special treatment. He was actually harder on me than anybody else. Um, but it, it was great. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have changed it. And that's where I'm, why I'm excited to coach my son. Um, as well, just because he was just such a good example for that. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think we make a mistake by saying things are either you know black or white and that you should yes. do this or you shouldn't do this. And 
you know, for example, Doc Rivers, when Austin Rivers, who now plays for Los Angeles Clippers, for his dad, Doc, which is an interesting scenario as yeah. is. But when he was growing up, he didn't coach him. And he went to the games and he said, I'm here to be a dad and I'm not here to coach him. And he left the coaches, let them be. But look, the Williams sister's dad was yep. very involved. Uh, Tiger Woods' dad was very involved. Bryce Harper, his dad still will throw him, you know, uh, BP. Um, so look, there's so many different ways to skin a cat and so many different ways to eat a Reese's. And I love that you're, able to sort of sit there in your psychology class and be like, no, I actually saw a different perspective because at the end of the day, it, it's up to the parent to decide when am I coach and when am I parent? And right. am I able to shift from both of those and wear those different hats? And there have right. been plenty of examples of people that have done great jobs coaching their kids. Uh, Del Curry sometimes would, would coach his son, Steph. Um, so I, I love that you bring that up because I think we're so quick to say, don't do it. Uh, stay being parent. You can't be right. the coach. And I think it's a misnomer and we're missing an opportunity to build a, sp a, a special bond uh, right. with your dad. My dad coached me in basketball, in soccer. And then occasionally he would be in the coach's ears in baseball to tell them to let me pitch. Uh, right. Because <laughs> my pitching style was I could throw it really slow, but I could get it over the plate. So when the <laughs> guys, you, you know, when you're growing up and kids can't throw strikes, they would have me come in and I did this thing where I always wanted to roll my sleeve up because I hated throwing with <laughs> sleeves. Uh, but my dad would be in their ear saying, but Ryan, and he'll just throw it in. That's hilarious. They could hit home runs off me, but at least they're not getting pumped. Hey, right, you know? right. You're pumping strikes. That's too funny. That's exactly. a great point. <laughs> um, awesome. So I love that you brought that up. So you go from playing – did you play football also in high school? I played one season. My, my junior year didn't play my comeback my senior year because the summer between my junior and senior year – I was playing for the American Samoa National Baseball Team. And so I was out of the country that entire summer. And uh, yeah, so I only played that one season of football. Is baseball big there? Because obviously no. we all know about football. We right, about not at all. Not at all. And so, yeah, there, there's not – it's uh, it's starting to grow. The, the majority of the players who are playing professional baseball um, are um, U.S.-raised um, Samoans, American Samoan. Not a lot from the island, however – they're doing their best. We're doing it to try to perpetuate that sport and they grow it. And, uh, but it's hard when football's king down there. I know. I remember I saw a, uh, I think it was an HBO Real Sports or something where they showed how football became king and, you know, playing yes. barefoot and yes. just running around. And I yep. think there's some good stock down there too. I think there's some good Absolutely. genetic stock. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's very rare you run into a Samoan who is not well put, 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 put right. well together. So, right, right. Um, I, so I, I, it makes sense that they'd make good baseball players as well. Yeah. Um, so you go off to college and, um, you know, you're, you then play baseball there and you're pitching. Tell me about yes. that experience. Yeah, so I'm like. there. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, I was a freshman All-American my freshman year. I left for two years to serve a two-year church mission. And I came back as sophomore, junior, senior year. Uh, wonderful opportunity, great opportunity to go and to travel to to, to have baseball part of my college experience. Um, the, the camaraderie, the team, the, the teammates. I mean, it's it, it was a lot of fun. I, I had an absolute blast, and so blessed and grateful that I had that opportunity. Justin, can we go back a step? So yeah, yeah. You said BYU. I think of a mission right off the bat. Yeah. Were you Mormon or yes, yes. So, so you were yes. raised Mormon. I was baptized Mormon when I was 13 years old. So our family was not, and then converted to the church at 13 years old. And yeah, and uh, and 
it's so funny because when I first joined, it was no, because you don't have to, you don't have to go on a mission if you don't want to. It's not mandatory. Um, and so I was, no, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And uh, I asked my dad, I said, hey, dad, do you want me to go? And my mom, do you guys want me to go? And they're like, because my dad never went on a mission. My mom never went on a mission. And, and they're like, if you want to go, go ahead. You could do it if you want. Um, it, my dad's like, as, a, as your baseball coach, I don't want you to go. As your dad, you can go if you want. Like, I, would, I think it would be a great experience. And, um, and I, I opted to go. And it's funny because some of my buddies were telling me, hey, it's going to ruin your baseball career. It's good. You're going to come back soft. You're going to come back. You're not going to be the same. And they were absolutely right. <laughs> and, uh, but I would do it all over again. I mean, go to, I went to Nicaragua learned how to speak Spanish and uh, met some amazing people. And for those who don't know, when you're on a church mission uh, for the, the, the LDS church, uh, the Mormon church, there's no TV, no music, no baseball. Talk to your family twice a year, uh, Mother's Day and Christmas. There's no movies. I mean, you just just serve. And it's uh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Many times without electricity, many times without running water. Uh, it was a blast. So Justin, I'm curious about this. So you grew up in this family that says, do whatever you want, be whoever you want to be. But Mormon, you know, I think you hit on it earlier, sort of the respecting of your body, um, the respecting of discipline, what you put into your body, but also what you say. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, but there is a uh, structure or a yeah. process or a system to being Mormon and living yeah. a Mormon lifestyle. Can you yeah. talk about the 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 convergence of sort of autonomy or uh, the lifestyle that your parents encouraged while also the structure that came with the church? Yeah, yeah, for me, it was one and the same. It was, it was all the same. A lot of times when, when I look at my life right now, yeah, for those who don't know, I mean, there are, there are, there are no, for those who know me, those who are listening and they know me, yeah, Justin doesn't cuss, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't, and, and we can, people can look at it and be like, how can you do that? How, how you're, you're so restricted, you're so this, and for me, I feel free. I feel like that's just, that's just how I've always been. I don't feel constricted or restricted, whatever they, that may be, and I do feel, yeah, so much freedom. However, from the outside, I think it, just in any religion, and again, I'm not, I don't want to speak for Catholics or Christians or those who are Jewish or whatever, um, there are certain laws and there's certain uh, ordinances or, or, or principles that people live by, and you have your people who live, yes, strict to the word, whatever that may be, or and some who are not so much. And, and But yeah, we grew up, all I wanted to do is, is basically as I live closer to the doctors, that I live closer in line and in harmony with, with uh, how can I be like Jesus? That it, then I feel that I'm my best self right there. The moment I veer off that personally, I don't feel like I could be as effective. I, I don't feel like I'm a, 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 as good as a father and as a husband. I feel more in tune. And so I always want to be in tune and, and locked in as much as I can spiritually. And um, so, yeah, so now it's not something that I try to avoid. It's something that I seek out. I, I want to be as uh, the best version of, of myself I can. What it, What is the Lord ask? Okay, I want to do that. So I want to do what he asked me to do. I want to do what he says to do because that is where I find that I'm at my absolute best and I feel the best and I feel like I can help people the best. And so, yeah, I feel that it's, that it is one and the same. And I really don't know any different. I really don't know any different. So when you pick up as a freshman, you're, you have this success as a baseball player, you are at a college, which is a cool experience unto itself. And you pick up to go serve others. 
at that time, are you not looking at that as I'm sacrificing baseball or I'm sacrificing college to go serve? Is that not how you process it as an 18, 19 year old? Uh, that was, it was very hard to make that decision at first. Because hey, at first I was all for it. And then when I saw myself doing really good as a freshman, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to keep this? Am I going to be able to to maintain this? And I was adamant. Yeah, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be right where I was. This isn't a sacrifice. But it was something that deep down in my heart, I knew this was, I was supposed to do this. I was, and the cool thing was no one was forcing me. It was all on me. It was my decision. And when I was there, I was like, wow, this is, I met certain people and had certain experiences where I was like, this is exactly where I need to be. And it turned from being a sacrifice to such a, at first to being such a privilege and wow, I'm so lucky and blessed to be here to have this amazing opportunity. And, um, and it just became really the foundation of everything that came after that from meeting my wife to even what I, I take lessons from the mission and apply it to what I do now. Uh, so many lessons that, that I learned. And um, yeah, I did come back from the mission and wasn't as aggressive and was my body wasn't as in shape, but, and, and, and I can say I was a little, I was a lot softer than I was just physically and mentally after the mission, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I grew so much in every aspect. And I ended up realizing personally, it just kind of solidified my belief and definition that baseball is something that I do and does not define who I am. You use that word soft a couple of times. Why did that experience make you quote unquote soft? And, and what uh, do you think that word means to you? What is that? So word basically mean? what soft means to me is, is I wasn't as competitive and I don't th and I think it, and that's what interested me. Like I was like my segue into sports psychology uh, where I was more, had the more of the eternal perspective. It's, oh, we lost today, but you know what? God is good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, it, it, life's going to go on and things are great. Before the mission, when I lost, I was furious. I was like, no, we are never going to lose again. And I'm never going to do that again. And, and I did lose that little bit of an edge. And when I say soft physically, I just, my, when you don't throw every day, when you don't, when you don't work out every day, it's just, you come back, your body is not as in shape as uh, obviously you work back to get back in shape. Uh, but mentally, I didn't have that same mindset that get on the mound and I'm about to shove this right now. I'm going to put it where I want. And if you stare at me, I'm going to put the ball, I'm going to put the, I'm going to, I'm going to throw at you. That was in my mentality before. Uh, but then after I didn't, I wasn't like that. I, I wasn't like that. And it wasn't until my senior year, near the end of my senior year where I was like, whoa, I, I should decide my mentality. I, I, I could create this um, mental performance, mental performance uh, persona, um, and I was, it was just, it was just a little bit too late. So I, I could have created cues and verbal cues and, and, uh, and I, a performance identity, but yep, never, never really sat down with a mental performance coach to do that. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what I mean by soft. We're going to get more into setting your mind and how you go about doing that. And I think yeah. that's right up both of our wheelhouses. Yeah. Um, but I want to, I want you to just tug on the word sacrifice. What, what, when you hear that word, um, look, uh, what you do requires some sacrifice. What the yeah. athletes that you serve do requires quote-unquote sacrifice. Do you think of it as sacrifice or is that too strong of a word? What do you think of that word? Uh, I, I think I think the things that are – so are you referring in terms of serving a mission or, are you ser or just the word sacrifice in general? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean – it sounds like you didn't look at serving as a sacrifice. I didn't. Um, You're right. Yeah, you were probably, yeah, I did not see that. I did not see, oh man, two years and I'm sacrificing so much. I, I, I did not view it as that. 
but sacrifice is giving up something, in my opinion, for something greater, for something down, the, 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 something bigger, for the benefit of the team, for the benefit of yourself. Um, giving up something, and people, you always hear that. Oh man, you're sacrificing two years of your life. For me, I didn't see it as that. Like, oh man, that's two years. That's that's a long time. And but no, I, I, I saw it as a blessing immediate. Those two years, but. Yeah, anytime athletes, as, as you say, or anyone wants to do something great, yeah, you might have to sacrifice time with the family. You might have to sacrifice eating ice cream to, to, to instead of to go to the gym or go eat healthy. Yeah, sacrificing is giving up something in the short term uh, for something greater and bigger in the long term. And um, yeah, I think great performers and great and whoever, they, if you want to achieve greatness or whatever you do, it definitely requires that. Well, now I'll flip it the other way because now that you describe it that way, you did sacrifice a little bit of baseball in order to have this amazing experience that was transformational and helped guide you to where you are today. So I guess in that sense, there was that push pull that was helpful for you and and ended up working out. Um, 100%. So go to, so that senior year you talked about, I started to figure out, Hey, I don't have to be exactly who I am off the field as I am on the field and I can shift my mind and, it's funny you bring that up because I just watched a video today from Beyonce and I call Beyonce like our version of Socrates. Like we, uh, I just think she's really bright and really intelligent and really thoughtful and conscious about or conscientious about how she puts her together, her mentality to prepare and her mentality to perform. And there's actually a, a video where other people were talking about her and they said, she's this soft spoken sort of introverted person but the moment she steps on stage, she turns into Queen B. She yep. is there to just crush it and kill it. And she owns the stage and she just turns into this, you know, powerful woman. Um, and I look at musicians and uh, actors as people that they have to set their mind and get on stage. And when they're on the stage, they've rehearsed the thing a million times but they have to be so in the moment that the audience thinks that they've never rehearsed it before. Mm-hmm. And I think athletes have to do that in the same way. It's like if we try to force it and we're so um, into it has to be exactly what we want and so superstitious, right. we can paralyze ourselves and not be in the moment and not be where our feet are and, and do what we need to do. Um, but I'm curious for you that senior year, what did you do? What did that process look like for you to shift from maybe what you were going through your junior year where maybe you were lacking motivation or you were soft or you lacked the fire or the intensity that you felt like you needed on the mound? How did you shift your senior year and what were some of the tools you used or systems that you created? Yeah, so the reality is my se- I, didn't, I, played, I pitched three innings my senior year. Wow. So I, didn't, I was injured the entire year. And it was that time being injured where I literally saw the light at the end of the tunnel saying, okay, this is it. I'm done. Like, and I sat there and I watched the whole season. And so I didn't even play until my, I think my senior, I think my, my senior game, I got out there injured and threw one last, I think I threw one, I think I threw one inning or three. I can't remember, but I didn't really do anything. It literally just came to self-awareness as I'm sitting there watching and thinking, wow, I could have made a decision. So I didn't even have a chance to execute. I didn't even have a chance to sit down and to come with idea because I, I strained the ligament in my elbow or tore the ligament in my elbow and I, and I really didn't do anything. And so it was more of a realization more than anything. I didn't have a chance. I would have loved to tell you and have a story where I went out there, I came up with a strategy or technique, went out there and then I dominated. I clicked back into where I was. 
I unfortunately did not have that chance. Uh, but when being injured, you, you just, just the self-awareness piece was really, um, you have a lot of time to think, I have a lot of time to think and observe. And, and that's, um, that's where it came, how it came to me. So yeah, I didn't even really have a chance to execute or do anything really. Freshman year, were you thinking that you would play pro baseball? Oh, that was a dream. From day one, I wanted to play professional baseball. I wanted to be, I wanted to be in, in pro ball, make it to the major leagues, 100%. That was always the dream since day one. And realistically, when you go on that mission, in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to go on this mission, but I'm going to come back, and I'm still going to achieve my dream. 100%. Yep. I was still thinking that. I was still getting, I was getting re- recruiting letters from Cal State Fullerton and UCLA while I was on a mission saying, hey, when you come back, come back to our schools. Wow. And that's, that's home for me. That's like that's the mecca um, of, of uh, Cal State Fullerton went on to win the World Series. I, I had to write a personal letter to the head coach saying, sorry, I'm going to go back to BYU. Went to BYU. I was watching College World Series and Cal State Fullerton won it. Or, or, and my wife's like, uh, do you wish you would have done that? And she was my girlfriend at the time. I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm happy here. But deep down, I'm like, man, that would have been nice to get a ring. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that was always the goal. And so, so is that your first real taste of failure? Is that junior year when you come back and you, know, you no longer have it or the stuff or what you need to be successful? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say in terms of baseball, in, in the baseball world, absolutely. But there were other things going on in my life. I was courting my wife, and uh, I was uh, just, just got off that mission. And so in the moment, I didn't view it as failure. As, and that's why I was, where I would say it's soft in the, in the terms of I didn't lose sleep. <laughs> I was never losing sleep. I was eating fine. And it was just one of those things where I think I was just kind of, I was going through the motions. I was going through the motions and not going as hard as I – I could have or should have as a as a Division One athlete, um, and I just think I wasn't as focused as I I could have been had I known then what I know now. Got it. All right, we're gonna take you away from college. So you graduate from there. Uh, what did you major in? What was your next step? What was the path looking yep. up? Yep, majored in broadcast journalism, and uh, and I was getting uh, almost like a minor, you could even say, in in religious education, so to teach religion. And uh, went to sports, NBC Sports Los Angeles in, in LA, and I hated it. I wanted to be a sports center anchor, wanted to be on ESPN, went to ESPN or NBC Sports Los Angeles, couldn't stand it, didn't like the culture. I did not like reporting to athletes. I didn't want to report on them, I wanted to help them. I didn't want to be behind the camera. So ended up going back to Utah to be a teacher. So I was, I was a teacher, actually, I wanted, I just had this, I just loved teaching and that all I did that for two years in the mission. I, I just, I loved coaching kids, baseball, anything to teach. I just really enjoyed it. Um, teaching, speaking one-on-one, all that kind of stuff, helping people. And I feel I was doing that in broadcasting. So I went to be a teacher. I was doing that for three or for five years when I got my master's in sports psychology from the university of Utah. Time and, out, time out, time out, time out. Yeah. Wait, so <laughs> In, all right, we're in the world now where sports psychology is normal, but like when I graduated from college, I didn't know anything about sports psychology. So right. I think you sort of hinted that sports psychology came into your radar, maybe your junior year, senior year of yeah. college. Yeah. Um, but w- what was that introduction? Who was that introduction? Yeah, yeah. So, so Ken Revisa worked with my dad's baseball team. So Ken Revisa, uh, heads of baseball, heads of baseball 2.0, I mean, one of the best sports psych mental skills coaches out there. Um, he's a friend of my dad. Works at Cal um, State Fullerton, right? Yeah, he yeah he was at Cal State Fullerton, and my father was a head coach of a baseball of a uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills, and so 
they knew each other and send me a book. And I thought it was, it was really, it was intriguing. It was really neat. I never thought about doing it for a job. I remember, excuse me, we had a, a sports psychologist on BYU campus. He came to speak of us, speak to us. I thought, oh, that's cool. Never thought about doing it as a job. So I applied for a master's degree at BYU and didn't get accepted. I, um, and I thought, okay, let me go find another one. And nothing at BYU intrigued me. And I, I'm graduated, I have my degree in broadcasting, but I'm teaching now. So I thought, okay, there's another big school around, University of Utah. Let me look at their master's degree programs. I look and I see this degree called the psychosocial aspect of sport. I'm like, what is this? I call them up, I read a description, and as I hear people talk about it, I thought, this is what I need to do. And I, I applied and I got accepted. And, uh, and from there on out, that's when I was about, oof, I was late 20s. I was 28 or so, 29. And when I decided, hey, this is what, this is what I want to do for a living. Yeah. What, what were you teaching at the time? I was religious education. So it was like Sunday school for, for, for Mormon kids, for Mormon youth in high school. So in Utah, they have like religious education that they teach right there, kind of as an elective. It's an elective. So I was in there. I was having a great – I was teaching. I was kind of like doing another mission, uh, but I knew there was something else out there for me. You know, it's funny. I went to Syracuse University. And I have a cold right now, so my voice is really screwed up. But I don't have an ideal voice for radio or TV. Like, you actually have a voice for radio and TV. I have the face for radio and TV, but that's a story for good men. Or for radio, not so much for TV. Um, but uh, I went to Syracuse because, in part, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And the reason I wanted to be was because I used to play video games with my friends, and I would announce everything while wow. we were playing video games. And you can imagine how annoying a kid would be like, <laughs> he shoots, he scores. And then, you know, you like run around the house. So that was one of the reasons. And actually had a cousin who did sports broadcasting and that was part of the reason. So I was intrigued by it too. But yeah, I think there wasn't a pull for me in some sense because I think I was always drawn to the idea of serving people. And uh, yeah. so that, that resonates with me so much. Um, yeah. But you get into the sports psychology program and do you just fall in love with it or what's that process? Fell in love like? with it. Day one. Day one, first class, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is a degree? This is what I can like do for a living? And, um, and I just loved it. And I remember starting from my first class, I, social media, this is, two, this is 2009. Was, I graduated in 2011, so it was a two-year program. And I, I opened up a, a Facebook page, I remember, Sua Sports Psychology. And all I did for my first class, and I just started posting quotes. And I, I, just, I just loved it. I just posted quotes. And then uh, I'd learn about self-determination theory or motivation. And then I'd go and write a little blog post about it. And just whatever I knew about it. I learned about Albert Bandura's self-efficacy theory and, and motivate your confidence. I'd go and I'd write my little thing about it. Not really knowing what I just loved it. And I'd go and I'd start putting up there on social media. And, uh, and then once I graduated, I said, you know what? This is... I'm going to open a business and I have a wife and three kids at this time. And I said, goodbye. I said, goodbye to teaching. And we were out, my wife and I just arm in arm. Okay, let's go out to the world. And she's at home with the kids now. She doesn't have a job. I mean, she has the most important job in the world. And now I'm an entrepreneur. Um, the kid, the family eats what daddy kills. And I was struggling. I was, I just hustled as hard as I just use social media. I'd go to different places and try to speak and try to help work one-on-one -on -one with players. Um, I wrote an email to the American Samoa Olympic Committee 
tell them I just got my degree and they flew me to the country and I got to work with all the Olympians, um, connected with the dancer and dancing with the stars. And it just, it just started just to really, all the fruits of my labor, the hard work started to, to just kind of come to fruition. And then I ended up joining the army um, with, uh, what was it called? Um, uh, the army has a program where they bring in the resilience. Yeah, the resilience training. So I went, we moved us to, to San Antonio and uh, I, I did that, but still had my own business on the side, wrote a couple of books. And that was a fun process, one for parents and teenagers. And then, uh, yeah, IMG called me and then the Red Sox and the Cleveland Browns. And so, yeah, this all, I graduated in 2011. And uh, then it's just been, it's been flying since then. Can you walk people through uh, what it's like to be an entrepreneur, what it's like uh, day to day and sort yes. of that process? Uh, here, here's what I didn't realize in this field in particular, this field of sports, sports psychology is there is this, inf- there, there's a lot, it's, it's a, it's in vogue right now. It's cool. It's like, wow, sports psychology. So there are a lot of people who are getting degrees, but there aren't, it's not like a dentist, as you know, it's not like a dentist or a teacher where once you get a degree, boom, you're going to have a job immediately. I read the writing on the wall that it's, you're going to have to be an entrepreneur. You're going to have to get out there and make a name for yourself and market and brand and sell and write. And luckily for me, that's how I was wired. I come from two parents who are entrepreneurs themselves. My wife's parents are entrepreneurs themselves. And so that I don't know any different. I know what it's like to be, go out and to, to create, uh, to build a tribe and to create attention. Entrepreneurship is all about attention. Can you get people's attention and provide value to them? And that's something, luckily, I've, I, not only do I enjoy doing that, but I think I've just been bred at such a young age to do that. Um, and so being an entrepreneur, but it's also scary. Um, and and it, it's scary in that, like I said, you eat what you kill. And so if I'm not constantly hustling, if I'm not constantly getting to know people and if I'm not constantly going, then our bank account just keeps going lower and lower and lower. And so there were a lot of sleepless nights. There were a lot of questions. Am I good enough for, to do this? Can I do this? Um, this is so hard. I love this. I hate this. I'm tired of this. I, I want more of this. It's a, it's a very, very difficult place to be in. But thanks to social media, social media is a game changer because what's great about social media is it by, you can go right past the gatekeeper. And now if you're really good, the market will let you know. If you're good, people will, will notice and say, oh, wow, I like what this guy is putting out. Or if you're not, then you won't get the attention. And so that's what I love about it. I, I love the fact that it's on me. It's on me. If, 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 if we're going to eat, it's on. And I just, it's scary, but I enjoy that part aspect of it as well. You said it's the way I'm wired. Uh, yeah. Do you think of that from a nature standpoint or a nurture standpoint? I think, I think it's both. I, I, I really believe in the nature and nurture, and I can speak to that now because I have children. So we have three children, eat the same food, have the same parents. We have one son. He literally, he is all about being, he's actually, as we speak, he's at entrepreneur camp. He's 10 years old. He gets in trouble from the principal for making money at school because he's selling, he's selling, he's selling things. And I was son, why are you selling pencil, uh, pencil uh, grips? Supply and demand, dad. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's in fifth grade getting in trouble for being an entrepreneur. And it's, um, and he's making, he's doing it. My other daughters, not at all. They want nothing to do with it. And they, they want to be damned and, and that's okay. And so I think he has a little bit, he just, we didn't teach it to him. He'll watch Shark Tank and take notes at 10 years old, nine years old. 
he'll uh, go door to door and sell things. I mean, and the other daughters aren't at all. And so I think he's a little bit wired in it, but he also remembers me going and I talk about entrepreneurship and he sees the books that I read and uh, we practice public speaking and he just, he loves that. So I'm trying to help him hone his craft. But so I think it is a combination of both. You know, I've, I've done work for an NBA team and a major league soccer team uh, at the combine. So the NBA combine and the major league soccer combine, and you interview these players and they're going into the draft. And one of the misconceptions that I often hear from the front office people is this notion that, oh, that kid comes from money and he's soft because he comes from money or he's not going to be hungry enough to uh, make it in our league. I'm curious if you can share your thoughts on that, uh, working in both the NFL uh, and Major League Baseball and uh, with your background and and you sort of gave us a, a window into what that was like and your perspective and now your son's perspective where, yeah, you kill what you eat, but you're, you're working with two professional sports teams. You're killing something. They're eating, right? Uh, your son's right. not starving. But yet he's still so hungry to be an entrepreneur. So can you tug on that notion of like where motivation comes from, where drive comes from, and, and especially as it relates to people that come from means versus people that come from nothing? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, motivation is a great topic, and I just I always, I always love looking at I mean, the perennial powers of, of the, the, the essence of motivation is Ryan and Desi and self-determination theory. For those who aren't, uh, who aren't familiar with that, listening to this podcast is basically just this notion that if a person have those three components, competence, autonomy, and relatedness, that motivation, they thrive. Like they, they are just more motivated. Um, there's a lot of other components to it, intrinsic, extrinsic, and so forth. And so I think these people who – for even for me in my life, both my personal experience and seeing people, people who get really good at what they do, really good at what they do, there's just something about it that's just so motivating and empowering. Because when you get good at what you do, you enjoy it. The more you enjoy it, the more you do it, the more you do it. It's just like this cycle that you go through and you grow. And then there is this autonomy behind it where where you know the, the, the ball is in your hands and it's up to you to do it. And that triggers it as well. And obviously the relatedness, that relationship components. Um, as far as and, and so that's something that my wife and I are trying to instill in our kids. We want to, to teach them the skills. On, and, and if we can't teach them, put them in the hands of people who can, obviously, it takes money to do that. It really does. But we also there are also moments where, hey, watch a YouTube video. Now, because of technology, it's so much information at our kids' disposal. And so we'll show them YouTube and say, hey, he, she will continue. this person can teach you how to sing. This person can teach you how to dance. So our kids – are looking up hours and hours of videos on, on how to do certain things, which is continuing to drive them. And then the relatedness piece or relationships within our home and creating that. Um, as far as the, this notion of coming from means versus not coming from means, uh, I think I, I saw recently um, Ray Lewis uh, speak. He said a long time ago, but he said the reason he was so hungry is because he's going after things he never had it when he was younger. And that's wonderful. One thing that I am learning and I have learned with all of the hundreds, it's not thousands of athletes that I've worked with, like you, you've probably seen this as well. Everyone is so different and everyone is driven by so many different things. Christian McCaffrey, for example, one of the most motivated, driven people I've ever seen in my life. He came from means. He came from, he came from his dad, played in the NFL, and he comes from a long pedigree of athletes. And, and there's that component, but he came from means. And 
to tell me that he's not hungry because like, no, that guy is driven. And then we have other guys on our team who I've seen who came from nothing. Steve Smith, Steve, uh, Steve Smith, who now retired receiver, uh, chatted with him, talking to him to hear what he came from nothing. And, and he was driven. And then I've seen people who've come from nothing and they're not driven. They just want a handout. They, they don't. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I don't have anything. And they use it as a cop out. Then we see people who do have come from a lot of money and they don't want anything because they're, they're, sat, they're satisfied. So they don't work hard. And one thing that I've come to learn is I struggle with the blanket. Oh, millennials are lazy. People come from money are lazy. People who are, don't have anything are hungry. No, I, I think you need to be very careful with going to what you, going to what you said earlier about these, these blanket statement and, and notions that we give about with categorizing people. Um, we got to be careful with that because I've seen people who are, who break that all the time. I see it all the time. And so I'm more of, of, okay, what, what is this individual's person's, uh, what are their needs? What are their desires? Where's their passion? How do you, what are the buttons we can push and the levers we can pull that, that they can pull to help them perform at their absolute best. And so, yeah, that, that, that's my take on it. Yeah, I think our society as a whole loves to generalize and loves for things to be logical. Um, and like the generation above always complains about the generation below. Them. Absolutely. Uh, that's never happened in, in every generation. Our, our parents' generation were hippies. They were all hippies yeah. doing drugs, yeah. you know, doing acid. They were a bunch of hippies. Like, what? They're, they're, they're now like the most conservative generation that we've ever seen in the U.S. Right. So, A, people change. So, the way you are when you're 20 is different than you're going to be when you're 30, when you're 40, than when you're 50. And then, B, the world changes and evolves and shifts. And that's not to say that research isn't good and in in that we shouldn't try to figure out on average what do these right. people do. Right. Research is valuable. But I once had a star, star professional athlete tell me, Brian... I'm not into research. And I was like, what do you mean you're not into research? And I thought he was going to be like, well, it's too complicated and complex. He goes, research is all about averages. He's like, I didn't get here by being average and I'm not going to get to where I want to go by being average. So I don't care what the average is. I want to know what the best do. And yeah. that was like, whoa, it, it blew my mind. And honestly, that athlete in some ways struggles in the culture he's in because he has such a narcissism about him and a high self-belief in himself that he really thinks that he's capable of being the best at his position in the world. And that might be why he actually gets there. Um, <laughs> what do you think about narcissism? Because it's something that I find fascinating, especially in the, in the sports uh, arena, especially at the professional level. Um, can you pull on narcissism a little bit for me? I see it all the time. I, 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 it, it is. And the, compo the thing that with narcissism, it's really interesting. A lot of times um, there's a study in, in the applied journals where narcissism, like you don't teach them visualization, like self said, they're already, because they're already doing it. They already think they're the best in the world. They're already visualizing them being the absolute best. And so I learned really quickly. That's what another thing is. I'm not a big fan of cookie cutter blanket mental skills that you teach to everybody, especially at the highest level because it might be doing, I don't want to say necessarily a disservice, but everyone is so individualized. One thing about narcissists is, is they, and for those who don't know, is, is a lot, it's a close, they have a close cousin, which is that, that perfectionism right there. They, they want, they believe they're the best and they want to get it perfect. And someday, sometimes they have maladaptive perfectionism. Sometimes it is adapt. Sometimes they can adjust and they have this growth mindset tendency to them. 
uh, and some don't. Uh, another thing about narcissism that I see is very high anxiety. Those with narcissism, they, they care what other people think. They say they don't, but they do. Uh, they, they care uh, what, how they look and they, they're coming off and they get embarrassed easily if they don't, things don't work out. And I've had athletes tell me at the highest level who are highly narcissistic, that I'm embarrassed when I mess up. And, and that actually drives them to work so hard. And so what we end up finding out is it's just creating with those who are have narcissistic tendencies is, is really turning the light on for them and helping them develop self-awareness. And that is something where, hey, this is what's this inner this is how you are coming off to your choice if you want to keep it or not. This is you, but do you realize that when you do this, this is how your teammates see it. This is how your coach sees it. This is how the media is portraying it. Some are like, I don't care. And some are like, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. And that's something that is I deal with all the time, especially at the high, like when you're making millions and millions of dollars and being watched by millions of people, you tend to think the world revolves around you and you tend to think that, okay. And it's something that's, however, we don't, I had one coach say, we don't want to turn him and these athletes into choir boys and girls. And maybe we got to, we can temper it as long as it's not hindering their performance and obviously who they are as people. Is it, is it getting in the way of their marriages? Is it getting in the way of their ability to be parents? But, uh, but yeah, it is something that I rub against every single day. And it is something that sometimes athletes will even come in and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to work on being a little more, they'll say humble. But then we talk about vulnerability. Vulnerability and narcissism, that's something that's like, whoa, that's something new. Why would I do that? But that's why I love to it, – it's neat to hear Navy SEALs talk about being vulnerable and, and being, able, being able to open up. And I like to share examples of – people who these elite athletes respect hey this is them telling their story how hard it is this is them telling their story of of their weaknesses and so they can see and say oh okay i do have weaknesses because you you can't change what you're not aware of and you can't change what you don't bring to light and put on the table and, and admit so you have to check your ego at the door and a lot of times narcissists they don't want to check their ego at the door they don't want to share and open up but it's neat once they do once they learn that they can benefit uh, by doing those things, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them will come to my office or, or, or catch me after practice and say, you know what, let's talk a little bit about some of my weaknesses. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great topic. I worked with a college football team and one of their star players, we met one-on-one -on -one and I said, so what are your weaknesses? He looked at me. He said, I don't really have any weaknesses. He's dead serious. And he, he's actually playing in the NFL now. He's, he's pretty successful. Um, but I go to him, you don't have any weaknesses. I go, who are the people that you look to for advice? Uh, and he's like, well, I like my D-line coach. Uh, I'm like, all right, well, let's go get your coach. Can we bring him in the room and find out what your weaknesses are? Because I'm sure he's got some. He's yes. like, sure, let's do it. So we bring him in and he goes over some of the weaknesses. And that guy, when the lights were on, you could count on him. He was showing up. He was performing. He was fearless, he was adaptable, he always brought it. Um, but if you ask his coaches, yeah, he might not fulfill his potential because he's not doing what he needs to do in practice and preparing. So like I have a saying, like, I want you to be neurotic when you're preparing and narcissistic when you're performing. Um, now, if you're neurotic when you're performing and narcissistic when you're preparing, you're kind of screwed. Um, yep. Just like I think humble and confident, like humble when I'm preparing, confident when I'm performing. But if I'm confident yep. when I'm preparing and I'm humble when I'm performing, eh, it might not go so well. So like I'm a big fan of blending and also 
separating the mindset for preparation and mindset for performance because I really believe that they require different um, capacities and different uh, ideas and different uh, ways of thinking and different mindsets. Um, 100%. You get to work with baseball and football though. And I haven't worked with baseball uh, past the college level. Um, so I haven't worked with pro baseball, uh, but I've worked with high school and college baseball. Um, and I've worked with college and pro football. Um, but to me, those sports are so different in so many ways. They are. They um, are. So can you, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to sort of generalize in this sense. Yeah, well, yeah. What are the differences you see from a mental standpoint as far as what guys need? Obviously, a field goal kicker, you know, that might right, be a little right, different. Right, right. That's it. Yeah, exactly. But for most of the 53-man roster, what are you seeing from a mental standpoint that's different than maybe what the baseball guys are? 162 games, 16 games, I mean, physical. Yeah. It's just, those are so different. How do you uh, wrestle with that? Right. So the thing about football is really interesting. There, something that comes up a lot, you'll hear a lot of players say, you just want to stay in the building. You just So there's this constant pressure, not just in the games, but am I doing everything I can to stay hired? Because there is no guaranteed money uh, for the great majority of these, these football players. You can be gone immediately. And, and if, if once it gets past 4 o'clock on Tuesday, you know you're, you've got at least another week. You've got another week. And here's another thing about football is because there's no minor leagues, once you're done, you're done. The other thing is, let's say the outside linebacker, if you're the weakest on the – if you're the lowest on the totem pole, if the outside linebacker gets injured and you're a receiver, you might be the one to go just to make space. And that's something that keeps everybody on their toes. So there's constant pressure, that stress. Oh man, am I doing what's it is? It's just constant. Paranoia? Would you say paranoia? Paranoia, yeah. For a lot, it's paranoia. A lot of paranoia. Now, in addition to that, it's constantly uh, new information. Being able to process information and execute on that information in a split second. Everyone has to be doing that. And so it's it's really interesting to see. We're studying and knowing your craft and knowing the other team and game filling, studying the playbook hours and hours at a time so that you can master your, your, so you can think fast, so you can be present fully in the moment. That's something that we always, always talk about. Now with baseball, on the other hand, it's, it's a game of failure. You always hear about it. It's a failure, failure, failure. In football, if you get angry, hey, you can go hit somebody. Baseball, you get angry. That little tension, that little tightness on the, on the ball or on the bat slows you down tremendously. And so what we're, what we're constantly talking about in both sports, but in different contexts, the four things, if I were to categorize the four things, is number one is, is, is coming back, overcoming failure. So being resilient, grit, developing all that. Oh, it's two different things, but, but pretty much overcoming adversity and failure uh, in, in both sports. Number two is confidence. Yeah, we just talked about the intricacies of confidence and, and, and how to build it, how to sustain it. What do you do when you don't have it? Then the third one that we talked about is focus. How do you keep focus? What's the, what do you focus on? And then number four is playing under pressure. Like how do you perform at a high level under pressure? Those tend to be the four topics, the four themes that are coming up over and over again. In each sport, they just are dressed differently and are in a different context um, for each sport at, at each level. And so it's just really fascinating how in the end, they're all, they're all human. In the end, everyone feels those emotions and lose focus in both sports, but it just looks differently from from both uh, from each individual team. How about fear? So I've had two different NFL players come on this podcast and I asked both of them about fear because 
I had a buddy who played at Syracuse, and he used to say, like, you know, when we play Virginia Tech, I'm I'm a little afraid. Like I like these dudes are big, strong, fast dudes. Um, so fear in football from a physicality standpoint, um, I don't know if they're make themselves vulnerable enough to open up about that. Um, and then in baseball, you know, there's fear of a 9,500 mile an hour ball coming at me, um, or fear of embarrassment, or or fear of physical injury. Uh, walk us through fear. Yeah, fear. Uh, I could I could honestly say in football and in baseball. I just saw it, in football and baseball, a baseball player, a professional, he, they're not afraid of getting hit by the ball. Um, not once have I heard anyone say that. And in football, I haven't heard anyone say, oh, man, I'm afraid to play the Patriots or play to play the Steelers. I have not heard that. Um, again, I don't know if it's a, a, a combination of, of, number one, they're not too, they're not vulnerable to say it or if it's really when you're at that level, it's like, no, we're just excited. Like, so they definitely talk about excited. The fear does come. There is fear and failure, though. You hear that quite often. The fear that um, I'm not going to live up to my potential. Fear that uh, I'm not going to get the opportunity to showcase my ability. Fear uh, that so, someone behind me might perform better than me. So I think a lot of people are driven by that. They say they're driven by fear. That's what motivates them. That's what drives them. It does come up. But as far as uh, we're afraid of the Patriots. Um, I, I've never heard that. Um, it's a pro setting or, or we're afraid. I'm afraid of Clayton Kershaw or I'm afraid of, uh, of, of someone getting hit. But at, at the lower levels, I have definitely heard that. I mean, I've worked with college football players. Oh, I'm afraid of Duke. We're afraid of these guys. See it all the time. Uh, high school, lower. I have not heard that once at the, at the pro level. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's interesting. And I even think about like the wide receiver who might be afraid to go over the middle or the quarterback who's been hit a bunch of times, who's afraid of getting hit and what is getting rid of the ball fast. Yeah, yeah I think there are, yeah, those intri- those little pocket moments where, yeah, a receiver getting afraid to get hit or, or I mean, you'll see a pitcher afraid to pitch inside to a power hitter. Okay, oh, man, I don't want to go inside on this guy. I mean, there's those, those, those things. Uh, guy turning double play, he's afraid he's going to get spiked, so he gets out of the way. I mean, there's that moment um, in the moment, but – um, but yeah, so, so yeah, I agree with you in those. And what are the commonalities across the board that you see from, from these athletes? What are things that make them unique, make them special? Look, we're in the minority. We, we get to be around pro athletes. A lot of people listen to this podcast, never will. And um, I think people in our field that are fortunate enough to work with the best athletes in the world sometimes forget that. And like, like it is it's rare. It's uncommon. And, um, so if you could shed some light on what are some common themes or qualities that you tend to see, uh, amongst those people. I, number one is attention to detail. Like the people underestimate how like this, they're professional athletes and the attention to detail in the little things is something that people, you don't even get, it's really neat. Cause in the minor leagues and pro baseball, there's minor leagues. And you'll see a professional minor league player when they first come in, you'll be like, wow, they are going about the business. Like, and we'll tell them, like, you're not in college anymore. I don't care if you came from the best college uh, in the world. Like, you need to be professionalized. You need to learn how to work. And I've seen guys come from a college world series, winning the college world series. Now they're pro ball. They're like, whoa, I didn't realize like this is what a pro does. This is how they approach their work. And so just the way they go about their, their, their walkthrough, the way they work out in the gym, the way their, their attention and detail and their focus that they give to practice. I think that is huge. Like that is one thing that separates the upper echelon athletes. Um, and another thing is 
their learning, their ability to take feedback. Yeah, it's hard to get feedback, but when you are a, a player at this level, the highest level, you are going to get feedback in front of everybody. And I think people under in football, for example, they play tape, they play the, and they point you out in front of everybody. You didn't do your job here. And it's neat. Okay, I need to get better. The highest level athletes, they don't need praise. Man, you're so good. Oh, you're so great. They want to know how to get better. They don't, you don't, they don't need a coach to tell them to help them feel better. They want a coach to help them be better. And I think a lot of times when I was working with youth, youth athletes, they would get so sad when a coach would correct them or, or come down harsh on them. There's a lot of yelling at the pro level. There's a lot of, however, however, at the same time, because they are professional, another thing that defines them is they know what they want. They have a plan. They know what they're working on. They don't show up to the cage or show up to the practice field and say, okay, what do you want me to work on, coach? It's like, no, they are professionals. They'll go to the coach and say, hey, this, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. Help me, help me with this. And then the coach say, okay, I'll help you with that. But yeah, a number of things, yeah, pay, pay attention to detail, their focus, ability to take feedback, um, and just how hard they work. It's always on their mind. They want to strengthen a mental game. They want to, they get their massages. They get their mental skills coaches. They go in the cryo machine. They the way they take care of their bodies is, is amazing. Is the feedback loop in football significantly different than the feedback loop in baseball? Yeah, yeah, significantly different. Significant. And just because the, the time, the, there's only one game, there's a lot of time, it, it is built into the football system. Uh, you do have classroom session. Baseball, okay, you just got done with a four-hour game. Okay, wait, go to sleep fast. We got a 9 o'clock game the next day. And then we got a 7 o'clock game the next day. Now we got a game the next day. We got a game the next day. It's there's no downtime. Um, the feedbacks on the fly there. Football, you have a whole, you have six days, five days to go and to just get, and everything is recorded. To, you can see it on the tape. Baseball, it's not, it's not like that. It's not built like that. Where you can look at every little intricacy. The other thing that amazed me in football that I didn't realize because I didn't play uh, when I was in high school is you have offense and defense, and like at halftime they'll literally split. Or at least the team I work. Yep. With. Offense is on one side going over yep. stuff. Defense is on the other side going over stuff. Come yep. together, rah, rah, let's go kick some ass and let's go do done. it uh, yep. and done. And it, it, football is fascinating because you have wide receivers. They go to the wide receiver room. To, uh, offensive line, they go to People don't realize like how, I'm going to use the word segregated, but how separate and chopped up football is and then how much work goes into uh, Sunday. Uh, yes. And like Tom Coughlin in his book talked about in football, you get paid Monday through Saturday. Sunday should be free. Uh, yep. Monday through Saturday is when you earn your paycheck. And I don't think people realize because they just see such an athletic, physical game, such a gladiator sport. And they don't realize how much attention to detail goes into it. Like you said, right off the bat, Monday through Saturday, like what made Peyton Peyton was Monday through Saturday. And that's not to take anything away from Peyton on Sunday, but like, Everything that you hear is his attention to detail. Brady, these guys, Breeze, they just dive into this stuff and are obsessed with it. Um, and it's, it's just a fascinating uh, dynamic. And I would imagine such a great dichotomy for you to see the difference. And, and I bet you can bring in elements of baseball where it's not as film-related and it's more feel-based and getting yourself ready to go and perform and then the opposite of that in football, and then really trying to bring some baseball maybe to football, and maybe bring some football to baseball. It's like, hey man, you're ready to go. Get in that batter's box, make it happen, and just do your thing. And then in, in, in the baseball world, it's like, hey man, why don't we watch some film and try to figure this thing out? Like, 
Todd Helton, one of the best hitters of all time, he was crazy about watching film on his swing yep. and trying to figure it out. And, you know, back then they had iPods and he'd pull it up and try to watch it. This is yep. like 2006. Um, so that to me is, is just, are you a student of the game like a football player? Or are you just going out and playing 160 games a year like a baseball player? And if we could blend those two, man, there's a special yeah. athlete. Like, yeah, it's like I get true. geeked over that. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to hit on is uh, – there's going to be people listening to this from my community, from your community that are in the sports psych world. And I want you to just share what it's like for you working with two professional sports teams. I mean, you're working with teams that have history, that have expectations. You know, you have the Red Sox who are expected to be in the World Series. You have the Browns who are trying to build something, uh, build a culture uh, from the ground up. Uh, a relatively new coaching staff and, yep. you know, dealing with losing. Um, but can you talk about what your life is like um, and give us a window into what it's like being at the professional level and what it's like, maybe the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. Just give us a window into that life. Cause I think a lot of people that listen to this are hoping to be where you're at. And um, I think we as a field don't do a good enough job of painting that picture for people that aspire to get there. And right. I think in some ways we have an obligation to share and, you know, explain, hey, this is what it looks like. So if you can explain the mechanics of it, uh, I think I would be grateful. And I think the people yeah. that are listening would also be grateful. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I agree. I agree with what, and I, I love what you said. You feel like we might be obligated to share. And I completely agree. My dream job is to be a university professor someday and to share all my stories and just kind of raise and help breed the next generation of mental skills coaches to be better than ever, better than I, I am and was. And uh, yeah, so this is this part of it, this part of the conversation I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, yeah, I mean, day in and day out, it's one of those things, something I always tell when I, when I supervised interns at the IMG Academy, and I, I always say, you wanna make sure that your level of competence matches the level of the athletes that you're working with. So if you're working with elite athletes, make sure that what you, your skill sets is there so the same amount of work that they put into their body and the, knowing the plays, that's what you should be doing. You should be studying every day and taking notes and, and understanding the intricacies and, and then have the ability to teach them in a way that's so simple that they don't only understand it, but they don't, don't misunderstand it. And I think some, some very important skills that, that we need to start learning now, if you're a grad student, is storytelling. How do you how to teach? How to how to con capture an audience? Because I have the chance to speak to the entire team. I have one shot in front of the entire. I speak to them twice a week. But you have all, all these athletes, elite athletes, and can you teach and capture a message, and to where it's sticky enough, so where it's usable, but then it's applicable enough where they can actually take it and they can run with it. So I, I'll use my message, my 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 presentation to everybody, and then it's, I keep it short. I think now for me, gone are the days where the one hour uh, mental skill sessions, like professional athletes don't have an hour during the season for a mental skill session. So I'm teaching five minute sessions to be able to capture, I, I take this, the research and the science and I package it in a way that's easy to digest and I, and I put a simple little phrase and make it sticky and I, and I tell the, co the coaches are there, the players are there, but I make sure I get that messaging from the head coach Hey coach, what do you want the message to be? Oh, this is what I want it to be. Okay, here, hey, what do you think about? And we build it together, and then we go out, and, and so now it's the man at the top 
is supporting it. And so, and then I'll work with players one-on-one. I'll, I'll work with coaches, staff. We'll do, I'll teach leadership sessions, sessions to coaches. And again, it's never the Justin Sua show. I'm providing questions and, and a platform for them to share ideas and collaborate with one another. And so I travel quite a bit. Um, I, I'm, I'm, either, I'm gone oh, on average anywhere from anywhere from 10 to 20 days a, a month. Um, 10 to 20 days a month. Um, but the cool thing about my job is I get to make my schedule. So I'm home for every birthday, every anniversary, and I could shift things around. And we just went on vacation a, a few weeks ago. And so it's, it's manageable. I'm, when I'm home, I'm home. But also at the same time when I'm home, yeah, I'm going to get a call from coach. I'm going to get a call from a player. I'm going to get those, those phone calls. And that's just part, part of the job. And, and my wife knows, knew that when she married me, she, she just knew, hey, Justin's going to be doing a lot. And my kids have gotten used to it. It is quite a bit of travel, but at the same time, it's something that I, I mean, I, ab- I absolutely, absolutely love. And so if I were to say, how did I do this? It all started back in 2009. I was, anyone could consume content. Anyone consumes, anyone could go out and read a book. Anyone could go out and, and listen to podcasts and videos. And that's something that I, I do to this day. I, one to two hours of consumption. I just consume information, not just in the sports light world. I'm studying branding, I'm studying sales, I'm studying neuroscience, I'm studying business. I, the, the, my palette for information is just all over the place. I'm, I'm studying artists and how to write better, um, uh, uh, hostage negotiators, all everything. You just take and you learn. Now, after you consume it, then you gotta contemplate it. You gotta, you gotta have a book. You can't just read and highlight things. You gotta have a book and jot, jot notes down, okay, and ideas, and then you gotta create content. Then you create. So I go, on, for me, it's consume, contemplate, create. And that's, since day one, I was always writing blog posts. I was always posting on social media because, and now podcasts, I'm just constantly creating, like you, and you said earlier, just staying sharp. And what's funny is, is as I've got done, done that, and continue to do that for the past seven years, every single day, I just get better myself, and then I look and I end up seeing people can go to social media and everyone who, they reached out to me just because they saw everything I was creating on social media. They saw my blog posts, they saw heard my podcast, and it was kind of creating, and then people were sharing. That's why I love it. Again, the, the market will let you know if they like it or not, and it took years to, to build. I remember when I first started my social media, and my, the only people who were commenting was grandma and, and my aunts, and hey, are you coming to house for Thanksgiving, I'm like, oh, this is my business page, Grandma. Sorry, and uh, but but that's what I would that that's what I would attribute it to, and just uh, there's so many things, but I would say if if you're thinking if you want to do that, you can do it. There there's there's space, there's room. You can you can do this, and I've had people tell me, nope, you, you're not going to be able to do it unless you have a PhD. You're not going to be able to do it unless you're ASP certified. You're not going to be able to do it unless you go to this prestigious school and I'm a, I'm a huge proponent for ASK certification. I'm a huge proponent for, hey, go get your PhD. I, I, don't, have, I don't have my PhD. I don't have my ASK certification. We, when I got my master's, it wasn't programmed like that. I still need some classes. I still want to go get my PhD. I still want to go get ASK certified just for the field. But, um, but my thing is just go for it. Put your head down, work. And I remember going to my first team I worked with, this 10-year-old travel baseball team. And I just gave it all I had to them. And then I worked with some little cheerleaders, gave it all to them. And then now I'm working with some of the best athletes in the world. And I'm giving it all to them. And it's been a blast. I'm just cracking up because I, 
you're like inside my mind right now and just like laser into my mind and stealing all, all my mind. So first of all, like the first presentation, one of the first presentations I gave were, was to a baseball team. Um, it was a camp. It was like a, uh, uh, a camp and they had the Georgetown baseball coach speak and they brought me in and I think I sucked. Like I was terrible, but you had something that I think is so valuable. We've become so, we consume so much. Like I read a stat, we consume like five times as much information as we did 30 years ago. Yeah, um, I that too. And like Twitter is this amazing tool. I love Twitter. It has changed. It's made me so much better at my job. But you have to be so careful because you're just consuming, consuming, consuming. And if you're not taking time to create and innovate and come up with your own thoughts and your own ideas, you're never going to be able to do that when you then work with the people that you work with. And your ability to speak in front of the Cleveland Browns or the Boston Red Sox for five minutes comes from your ability to create, innovate, and trust that you know what the heck you're talking about. And there's just like there's so much opportunity to consume. There's also just more opportunity to create than ever. You can send out a newsletter. You can send out a podcast. You can do a YouTube video. There oh, are man. so many There's outlets no excuses. Now. There's no, no excuses. excuses. <laughs> and like, I'm not a big fan of staying busy. I think busyness doesn't equal productivity, but I definitely am a fan of staying active. Like, there's no excuse for you not to stay active. Like, for me, my summers are quieter because I work with a lot of universities and they don't work with me in the summer. Um, so I'm just busy creating and I'm busy, you know, backlogging podcasts or like I just did my newsletter for the next two weeks. Like it's done. And I can't do that in the winter, in the fall, in the spring. You know what else I'm doing? I'm spending more time with my two kids and that's valuable. So like, huge. like this idea that you, you don't have enough to do. No, create, stay yeah. active, innovate, meet with people. Like someone calls you to find out about sports psychology. Like I, you probably have this happen all the time. Someone emails you, calls you like, take it. You don't know where the heck that's going to lead. You don't know what's going to happen. Go meet with someone over coffee or a drink or, in your case, a sandwich or whatever it is that, <laughs> that, you, that you're going to do. Uh, I don't know if you drink coffee or not. That would maybe I don't. Sure I don't. I don't. No. Right? Uh, when we get together, I'll make sure we'll get, like, a good, a good sandwich. Um, but, no, like, the world is your oyster. Like, it's amazing how easy it is to go find people now and go learn from them, but also how easy it is to just create and I think if, if nothing else from this conversation, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about you is you started this conversation by talking about ambition. And I think you have to have ambition to then go create and then knock on the doors that you've knocked on. And to go into that room, like your story about performing in front of pro sports teams for five minutes, I can remember the first time I presented to University of Maryland's football team. It was at practice, coach blew the whistle. He huddled the guys together and said, hey, Brian, give us some words. And I'm like, oh, crap. What do I say? These guys are massive. Yep. Yep. Like, here I am. I'm five foot six, man. I'm a little dude. Like, <laughs> they look at me and they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. At least that's what I'm thinking in my head. And I crushed it. And afterwards, the guys were like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. I can remember the first time I presented at DC United, the Major League Soccer team I work with. I'm nervous as all hell. And you know what? I probably stuttered. I probably stammered. But I freaking did it. And so much of our job comes back to practicing what we preach. Like, we tell people to be fearless. You need to go fe be fearless. We tell people to stay active, to keep going. You need to stay active. We tell them to be gritty. 
you need to be gritty. Are you kidding? For this podcast, you know how many people have said to me, oh, thanks, Brian, I'm going to pass. Or you know how many people have flaked on me and just not shown up when they said they were? You think if I took that personally, I, I, would, I would stop. I would be screwed. Right, right. Uh, there's so much of our job is coming back to practicing what we preach and being fearless enough to go with it and coming back to having the confidence and self-belief and the ambition to go with things and understand like, yeah, you're probably going to screw up. Guess what? So is that baseball player that's at AAA who played in the College World Series. They're going to screw up too. And now you can relate to them. Like I played basketball every Wednesday night. I tore my ACL two and a half years ago. My knee is still screwed up. Guess what? It's one of the best things that I've ever gone through. Because now when I go to DC United and a guy tore his ACL, we can have a real conversation yeah. about how much it sucks and how yeah. painful it is. So I think our message comes back to you have to live authentically and you have to have intention in what you're doing and you have to stay active. And for me, this conversation is so fun because a lot of times I'm having conversations with, with athletes and coaches and those are fun. When I right. get to talk to people in my field, I get to get better. I, that, I feel the same way. That's next level <laughs> stuff, man. So, I feel the same way. So I really appreciate you sharing your journey. Uh, you have an energy about you, and you know this because people probably tell you it all the time. You listen to Justin's podcast. He's bringing his energy. He, you know, he mentioned his son earlier. His son put out a video. His son has his <laughs> smile. Like, this, is a, this is a testament to Justin. I saw the video that he posts about his son. His son's bringing it. He's talking about his son being out the door. Man, his son's going to take all our jobs, and I'm going to be Thank grateful. I'm hoping I'm going to be a professor like you, and, and I'll just let him take my job one day. Oh, but, man. man, you have an energy and a presence about you, and whether that's nature or nurture or some combination of both, uh, I'm just grateful to, to get to finally meet you. Uh, if you don't follow Justin on Twitter, you got to do that. He as as he just said, he's constantly producing content. He's producing original content. He's reading and, and taking things and, and sharing it with you. Um, I think it goes back to his days as, as being a servant on a mission. And I think your religion is, has obviously greatly shaped your desire to serve, to serve the community, to serve your culture, to serve your religion, to serve your family, to serve the teams. Uh, you really are a servant leader. And uh, I'm just grateful to, to spend some time with you. I want to give you the last minute or so to just share where people can find you. Uh, obviously, the podcast and Twitter are two great places, but give us the, the rundown of where people can follow you, find you, and learn more about you. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much, Brian. This was such a pleasure to be with you as well, and uh, the feelings are definitely mutual. So, uh, yeah, honored that you'd have me on this on this podcast to, to ask questions that I've never been asked before. You really get into my my true authentic self. And so I appreciate that. Um, I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I think that those are the two mediums that I really use um, uh, at Justin Sua, J-U-S-T-I-N-S-U-A. Um, don't have a podcast, don't have an e, don't have a website anymore. I took it down just because I'm pretty busy with these two teams. And so, uh, but I do love to reach out. I love to talk to people. I love to connect. I, I, it's, it's, it's very normal for me to jump on the phone calls with people who I don't know and to talk deeper. And, uh, yeah, so Justin Sue on Twitter, on Instagram and looking forward to connecting with everyone. Well, I appreciate it, Justin. When you come through Washington, DC, we're definitely going to go get a sandwich. Uh, I'll, I'll find a great sandwich. Sounds uh, great. Maybe some club soda. Um, <laughs> I, if you listen to my other podcast, you'll see, like I can curse, uh, I, I can I can drink. You do you um, do you. Yeah, like but I, I've had clients who are Mormon, and it's fascinating for me. And I grew up in, in Washington D.C., and we actually have a decent Mormon population. We have this massive Mormon church uh, right off of our our highway, 
uh, yeah. what we what wow. we call what we call the Beltway, which wraps around Washington D.C. Washington D.C. And everybody who's not Mormon thinks that that's Disney World when they're when they're a kid. Yeah, they refer to the temple, the big yeah, white one. Yeah. No, we all think yeah. that it's Magic Kingdom and, and it's Disney World. And as a kid, you don't have a good sense of like how far away Disney World is. You just <laughs> assume it's 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 away. So I can remember like coming home from like a basketball game. And look it up and be like, man, that temple is Magic Kingdom. Like, why don't we just stop at Disney World and go say hi to Mickey Mouse? But uh, Mormonism is something that I'm fascinated by. Um, you know, I, I just think it's it's a really interesting religion, and the way they build communities uh, and support each other is something that that I've tried to learn about and educate myself about. Yeah. I just think it's it's really interesting stuff. And I worked with a golfer who uh, was big into uh, his temple, and um, he's he. It was just so fun to work with him because he was learning so much there. And then we would talk and yeah. it was like this, this beautiful time in his life. He actually ended wow. up going to BYU. Um, I got to find out what he's doing now, but yeah. uh, wow. you know, I, like to me, those are things that I just lo love learning about. So it was good to listen and, and hear your story. And once again, thank you so much for coming on and I uh, look forward to continuing the conversation with you in the future and, and getting to know you a little better. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, Justin. Thank you. Hi, right, brother. Thank you. So thanks again to Justin for coming on the podcast. He really is an impressive human. I mean, what he's built in a short amount of time uh, for himself and his practice and also how he's integrated that with his family and figured out how to balance uh, being a great dad and also being there for his children. And you could hear how passionate and how proud he is of his kids throughout our conversation. It was truly incredible. A few takeaways for me. One is the notion of being prepared, but also seizing the moment, right? And going for things and being fearless and being uh, in the present and being in the moment. And Justin has really created uh, a platform for himself, but also for the clients he serves. Uh, he has these quick hitters and he has a way with words that resonates with people. He's a storyteller and he understands how to blend research and storytelling to maximize performance. So Justin is someone who I really respect. He's one of the most respected guys in our field. So if you're interested, please check out his podcast. It's absolutely terrific. It's quick hitters. He understands the power of time and how valuable time is. And he's very efficient with how he uses his time in his life and his podcast. And I just think it's, it's really a worthwhile follow. I know I follow his podcast and, and listen to it. A lot of times I'll get it right first thing in the morning. I'll see it pop up and you can just give it a quick listen, whether you're at the gym or walking to work or driving to work. Uh, it's just a good way to start your day. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow there. And he's also very uh, active on Instagram as well. So make sure to check him out. As far as myself, um, we're really building this thing out. We're going to really try to make this podcast come to life and, and breathe some more life into it. I love doing it. I appreciate all the feedback I get from you guys, uh, whether you see me in person or you shoot me a note saying that you enjoyed an episode. It means the world to me. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, if you could like us on iTunes, it just really does wonders for the podcast. If you could share it on Twitter or Facebook, uh, we're starting to get some data and, and we're really learning that the more you guys share it, the more popular the podcast becomes and I can keep doing it. So I appreciate everyone who's listening. I appreciate everyone who's sharing. Continue to do so. And if there's anything I can help you out with, uh, please feel free to reach out. Uh, my email is brian at blevinson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at brianlevinson. Uh, and I also recently just 
uh, created an assessment. So it's called the Self-Belief Inventory. Uh, if you want more information on that, feel free to go to selfbeliefinventory.com and you can learn about this developmental assessment that some pro and college teams are starting to use as well. So I'm, I'm working, I'm, we're busy, uh, and, uh, and the podcast is evolving. We're trying to get the audio quality down. Thank you, everyone, who's, who's stuck with it and continue to listen. And I appreciate you, and I'm glad to be here, and I'm grateful uh, to have all of you as part of this community. Uh, have a great day. Enjoy the day and, and win as many moments as you possibly can. Take care.